Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Family, on vacation, I continued to study in the book of in the book of Mark. But I got to make a confession to you. I grew really excited about one piece of scripture. Mark 6, 1 through 6. And becoming so infatuated with it, I couldn't get away from it. And I, it got into my mind that that's our next piece of scripture. Well, I missed the Sunday, not able to turn on Facebook Live two weeks ago, as I was with mom. Then last week, we had a mistake and Facebook didn't work. So I convinced myself that we're in Mark chapter 6. We're not. So by the time I discovered all of that truth, the hard reality was is that the bulletin's already made. And my study time is already in Matthew chapter 6. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. So we're going to have Mark chapter 6. Then we're going to go backwards to Mark 5 next week. So those of you who are systematic, I know I'm going to throw you into a a, a turvy this week. But just, if you will, lighten up and just give me grace. I've been on vacation. All right? Family, uh, Mark 6 is important. And I have to be honest with you, Mark 6 is important because Mark 5 is that dynamic. Just to give you a quick taste of next week and the reminder of Kevin's preaching here in the past two, the three key miracles that are accomplished in chapter 5 of Mark set up where we're going to go today. All right? Jesus Christ doesn't have just power over the supernatural. He has leading authority over it. We've we've seen a number of exorcisms, one demon and Jesus' power. Here, Here, an identity, a group known as legion. Demons who could enter thousands of animals in the individual, have no power over the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We are talking about the King of Kings, and nothing stops him. We come to a woman, 14 years, suffered the uncleanness of her period. 14 years of the failure of the medical community. 14 years of burning her resources to try to find a cure. She becomes convinced that the Savior Jesus Christ is so incredible, so powerful, I don't even need to address Him directly. All I need to do is to be close enough in His presence to touch Him. And I'll be healed. I know it. And that's exactly what occurs. Family, what a great reminder of you and I that nearness to Christ 
is the safest place that we can ever be. It's the greatest place that we can ever be. Far greater than the medical community, far greater than our financial resources, simply to be in his presence has sufficiency. Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old little girl. Nobody wants to talk about a 12-year-old little girl or angels ever going to heaven. We don't want, we don't want to even speak that. And Jesus, sensing their awareness, said, don't worry, she's asleep. And in the quietness of a family moment, he raises that little angel. Death has no power over our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what a great reminder, family. Never, never forget, God can do the miraculous, but I think that there's a far greater lesson in here. We just have seen three great men go home to glory this week. And death can unravel us, but not in the presence of our Savior. In the presence of our Savior, death has no victory. Grave ultimately has no sting. It's been removed by the power of Jesus Christ and his authority. So family, we've got those three. And now we come into Mark chapter 6. And I'd love you to turn there and join. You can watch by, by, by screen this morning. But yet at the same time, I, I tell you each and every week, I'd love you to be in the scripture looking at it. I love that tactile opportunity that you have to be with your Bible. And if you're, you're a Bible student by way of some sort of digital presence, then you're able to mark and color and, and change that text around and maybe make a little note in your Bible to remember yourself that next week, as it comes in conversation, you can go back to it and, and be a part of it. And so it just hasn't disappeared from your memory. But if you haven't and you don't have a Bible, join with us by screen as we read all six of these verses together. Notice, if you will, he went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judah, or Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could not do mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Family, I'm concerned as I watch the realities of COVID's impact or our time's impact on the churches. And hopefully, not our church, but even then the reality of the tentacles of what that means to impact our church today. 
I believe that as we see the divisive nature of Mark 6, that the people looked at Jesus and they wanted no part of him. They wanted no part of him because he was just someone they knew everything about. Well, that, he, he, was, he was raised here. We know him. He, he's, he's easy. We, we, he can't be what he's presenting himself to be. We know everything about him. I believe that the church, you and I, can fall into trap. We know everything about Jesus. We know what Jesus can do. We have all of the, the theological awareness of his authority. And yet at the same time, we fall trap to being bored and not allowing ourselves to come under the authority of the Savior, the reality of the Savior. You see, this has been a hard time for us. I don't know if you know it, but approximately 35% of people who call themselves churchgoers here across America have ceased to come to church in the last two years. All right? And at one level you say, oh, well, but guess what? That's just about the ratio that we have right now in our own church. We live in a time when you and I come to church and we can talk about, we can have conversation about the latest decision-making of COVID. And it can consume us, can't it? We look down and we... First thing we notice about a person, are they masking this week or are they not masking? Have they been vaccinated or not vaccinated? Do I get the booster or do I not get the booster? We then come to the most divisive time in world or American politics that I've ever been a part of. And family, how many times can you honestly say that you have come to church and COVID, politics, and personal frustrations have carried a more time-consuming part of your Sunday morning identity than the worship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to confess to you, Pastor Pete, that has happened on many occasions. I believe if it's true for me, at least some of you are nodding in agreement with me this morning. It's true for you. And we have to ask ourselves a really tough, honest, hard question. Where's the Redeemer? Have we gotten bored with him? Where's the Redeemer? Are we not impacted by his authority? Mark's going to address a visit to his hometown today. In this visit, they're angered by him. But that anger leads them to just simply ignoring his message and his power. They were offended and embarrassed. Why? We'll, we'll, we'll break down the text. We'll unpack it in a minute. But I want, to, I want you to see some of the same concerns that can impact us or affect us. Primarily, they looked backwards. They looked backwards. First off, they knew all of the family. Well, he can't be who he says he is. 
He's a carpenter's kid. He's a trained handyman. He's not the redeemer. We know his mom. We know the family. They look backwards. He can't be who he says he is. They look backwards. We'll see in a minute they'd rejected him to the point of trying to kill him earlier. They'd focused on traditions. We like it the way it was. We don't want to upset the basket. We don't want to be different than anybody else. And family, can't that be the same trap that you and I fall into? We miss the way it used to be. We don't, we don't like it now. We like the way it used to be. We don't like what we're going through. We're going to whine and complain about it. And in doing so, we don't see the Savior. So they had a backwards look. Secondly, they refused to examine the truth. You see, even though they knew the answers, where Jesus came from, understand how, how big this was. Let me come to you the hometown, or the, not only the hometown, but let me go to the home. Mary has within her memory the angel Gabriel telling her that she's going to have a child and that child's going to be virgin born. And where is that information living in her life? We've already seen a couple of months ago. The family came and accused Jesus of being crazy. And yet she knows from her life experience that this one was virgin born. That the man who was going to divorce her by supernatural calling was said to marry Mary. She built a family on that knowledge. And yet the community knows nothing about it and the family couldn't care less and considers him a crazy man. They didn't examine the details. They didn't examine the information. They didn't examine the statements that Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. Repent, change your behavior, and believe, and believe, and believe. That changes all of the backwards look. That changes all of, of the present rejection. Thirdly, I want to suggest to you that they refuse to look ahead. What's, what's in it for tomorrow? And you know, family, one of the coolest things that, that you and I can experience is tomorrow. Don't get caught down here in tomorrow. Remember God's definition of tomorrow. First, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Second, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And in that reality, death has no sting. It even has no bearing. And to be with Christ is far better. So we have a tomorrow. And the, the community never looked at the reality of what it meant to have the offer of salvation given to them through this person who's declaring himself the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There was no look ahead. So I want to ask all of us this morning, 
What causes people to refuse the gospel? Can becoming too familiar with Jesus be a bad thing? And in light of that, what can we do about it? The Nazarene people wanted nothing to do with Christ. But again, I want to suggest to you and me that not having faith in him looks much the same. Not having confidence in his impact in our life can look much the same. When the Bible addresses faith, and he talks about faith, it is an outward expression of loyalty because of his unique value and his unique actions. I might give you a practical definition that looks something like this. Faith is a welcoming, embracing excitement to be connected with Christ. You... You're glad to have Christ dwell within. And so, family, I want you to understand that that has a huge bearing or a huge impact on us. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, a verse many of us are familiar with, he says it this way, but to all who did receive him, now if I took time to unpack all that's around there, verse 10 says, that the world did not know him. Verse 11 says, his own people did not receive him. Same word. To receive is a desire to be identified with the risen Savior. You want to look down and inwardly and outwardly recognize you're a Christ follower. You're a Christ follower. who believed in his name, a believer here, accepts every truth about Jesus from virgin birth to siblings, to the teaching that he offers, to the miracles that he does, and the willingness on our part to submit to his authority. That's to believe. And when that happens, he looks down and he says he gave the right to become the children of God. He acknowledges us as being part of his family. Hebrews chapter 11 says this about faith. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Let me remind you a a moment. Why do you have faith in things that you hope for? If I asked every one of you today, do you hope to die and go to heaven the moment that you stop breathing? There's not a person in this room that's responded to the gospel that doesn't agree with that, right? Right? But why do you have confidence in something you cannot prove? Well, let me tell you why. Because you know, at least down here deep, that the truths of the Old Testament were verified in the New Testament in the life of Jesus. You may not use that as one of the, 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 the writing validities of truth, but you know the consistency of Scripture. That 300 plus times the Old Testament from 400 to 1500 years earlier said truths about Jesus Christ, birth, life, death, and resurrection. 
And statistically, it's impossible to not be the Redeemer. And you've trusted that. You trusted the one who walked out of a grave three days after he was nailed to a cross. You trusted that. And you said, if I trust that, man, I can trust this stuff. Now, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the assurance and the conviction of things not seen. I'm going to heaven. And so, family, we have to remember the privilege of faith. And in remembering the privilege of faith, that incredible excitement to live out faith. So let's break down Mark 6, 1 through 6 this morning and just look at the incredible reminder here never to let our faith in Jesus get boring. First off, faith is welcoming. Faith is welcoming. So he could say in those first two verses, he went away from, from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And at the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands. Family, Jesus enters, Jesus enters uh, Nazareth as rabbi here. He's not a kid on a home visit. He's got his entire entourage here. In, in Luke chapter 4, we won't turn there this morning, but if you'll allow me to unpack what it says there. We're talking about two visits. In Luke 4, it's his first visit. He's coming back. He has no disciples. It's like the guy who comes back to town after graduating from college. He's got the job. And there he reads a section of Scripture from Isaiah that can only be true to the Messiah. And the men and women of Nazareth hear it, and they look at him and are aghast that Joseph's son would ever declare such a truth. And they're so angry, they grab him, take him outside to a cliff edge with the goal of throwing him off. And he walks away. Mark, we have the second moment that he comes to town. You see, this is at the end of his ministry. He's already told everyone many of the, the, the gospel declarations, primarily that the kingdom is here, that he represents that kingdom. He verifies it with miraculous reality. He tells them to believe in who he is and submit to his authority. Repenting of all of their past, he now comes to the hometown. And they know, they know, the, they know the stories. They, they've heard it. Nazareth is only a town between 15 and 20 miles from where his bulk of his ministry is occurring. So th the truth has already spread out there. 
The community has talked about it. There has been reputational musings going on for months and months and months. And as he comes and he talks to them that day, they're amazed. They look down and they recognize, wow, this guy is saying a lot of incredible things. Where did he get that wisdom? They know what he has been capable of doing in terms of miraculous They may have seen a few of the miracles that the end of this text of Scripture recognizes, but by reputation, they have already heard of the exorcisms. They've already heard of the feeding of the 5,000. They've already heard many tales of supernatural action. And they're absolutely unimpressed, nonplussed. Who cares? Family, there's, there's, there's nothing welcoming here. Jesus' entire teaching is known, and they reject. The people of Nazareth are so familiar with Jesus that they enjoy no blessing. They recognize his wisdom and his power, but sit angrily. Where is this man get these things? They judge his message as unnecessary because they know everything about him. And family, I want to suggest to you and I, I think that there is a a weekly as well as a daily response on you and my part to always have a welcoming identification of Jesus Christ in our lives his importance, and his value. First off, on the daily side, we should wake up with the awareness that Jesus Christ is the king of our lives. I want to suggest to you that one of the greatest privileges that you and I can have is to wake up every day and remind ourselves who we belong to. We're the king's kids. We have have the abiding, eternal presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to go to glory someday. So today, today, may I have a welcoming spirit to who he is and who his authority is. And when people look at me, may they see the very image of Jesus Christ. And then when you go to bed, you have the privilege of thanking the Redeemer for being with you and allowing Him to represent, to be represented through you, no matter where you went. And family, it doesn't have to be overt. Uh, you don't have to be, if I can use my father here for a moment, you don't have to be like my father who had a Gideon's New Testament to, to give to any waitress. You don't have to be like my father who's going to ask about your redemption that the, the Holy Spirit may open up a conversation and, and you run with it at that moment. But if, if God tells us through Paul in 1 Corinthians that I can eat or drink or whatever I do to give all to the glory of God, then my conversation can be winsome. My, my mental attitude can be out of the darkness and in light. That my awareness each and every day could be on His grace and His goodness. And even when I do insignificant things, the Holy Spirit uses insignificance 
when I live in awareness. So family, I, I want you to remember that, that faith is welcoming. They wanted no part of Jesus. And it was evident. I want you to notice, secondly, that, that faith is an excitement to be connected with Christ. We won't read the verse here today, but be reminded. First, they said, he's the carpenter's son. This speaks of the training that they, they know about him. It's, this is where you and I get the idea that he's a carpenter. The, the, the word really has that fuller expression of handyman. He can put a sink in and plumb everything underneath it. He can run a plane and create a smooth piece of wood and bring it to a finished product. He can do anything from fix the chicken coop to build a house. He's the carpenter's son. That's his training. That's his background. Family, there is a pejorative identity here. There is a pejorative identity. He can't be a spiritual leader. He's a nothing. There's no training about him. There's no pedigree about him. There's, there's nothing. He's just a simple carpenter. Well, you and I need to remember a number of things. God does some of his best work in simplicity. Elijah, Elisha, one of the key prophets of the Old Testament, when God called him, he was plowing a field. God uses the simple things. He says in James chapter 5, Elijah, a man like any of us. In other words, someone who gets up in the morning and has to have breakfast. Someone who gets up in the morning and has to put on his pant leg one leg at a time. Normal Joe. He says, but when he prayed to stop the rain, it stopped for three and a half years. And family, one of the great realities that, that I believe that we hold precious around here is we create a family loyalty that's not based on any sort of awareness of background. We embrace one another. One of the reasons I go out of my way to be Pete is I'm just normal Joe. Some of our greatest, some of our greatest, some of our greatest Bible teachers within this church are men that do not have master of divinity after their name. And it seems to me that the spiritual gift given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the human training that many receive. And many who've spent long, exhaustive times in God's Word have been used by God to explain the authority of biblical truth in ways that you and I will never fully grasp because it's laid upon the individual by Holy Spirit design. Family, never forget God uses simple. Matter of fact, we'll close today with the simple reminder that we accept a Savior who came down 
And we should have seen him as king of kings, but we saw him in simplicity as the carpenter's kid. We saw him simplicity that he has no place to lay his head. We saw him in his simplicity as one being beaten by mankind. We saw him in simplicity as someone who took on the death of a criminal, thrown into a tomb. But he let us know he's the king of kings when he walked out. Never forget, never forget that there's an excitement to being connected with someone who was willing to humiliate himself to be in partnership with us. Notice, if you will, he's, a, he's the son of Mary, brother to a slew of siblings. You see, from the family to everyone in the community, they knew the story about Jesus. But at this time, everyone is embarrassed about who he is. And the Bible says they take offense. The Greek word here is the word that we get today, the word scandal. Scandalizo. To be scandalized has an emotive quality to it. You, you've been, you're embarrassed that this guy's in the room. You want no part of this guy. And they're scandalized that the carpenter would ever stand up and declare himself to be the king of kings, to be the long-awaited Messiah. They were offended that this yokel is daring to claim the unique divine authority. Family, I'll never say that we're scandalized by the person of Jesus, but can we, can we recognize that familiarity may breed a, a lack of appreciation to who and what he's done? Can we recognize that, that some of us have gone through periods of time when we have not appreciated who Jesus Christ was, did, is doing in our lives? Can we recognize that as in church, there are times when we hope to create something of an emotional buzz trying to replace the, the emptiness of a walk with Jesus Christ that's consistent and honest? And so we either want to watch by social media or hope that the worship team brings in fog machines and, and drums loudly and we have that incredible speaker who speaks dynamically to us and we walk out so spiritually charged that we still have to wonder, did God do anything? But I'm higher than a kite emotionally. And so when I go to the doctor the next day and I hear that I have cancer, what did that emotive, spiritual level of excitement do to the appreciation of the trial that I'm about ready to go to and go through? Family, there needs to be an excitement, not to the easiness that I have, but the fact that I'm connected with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is privileging me to be in his family. I want you to notice, thirdly, if we're going to really look at a faith 
that's recognizable, that, that, that's encouraging to us. Faith is evident by a gladness for the inward dwelling of Christ. I want you to think for a moment. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes right now. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Put yourself standing in front of the church family like I am right now. All right? And have the church family utterly and completely reject you as a communicator, as a person. How would you feel getting in your car a few minutes from now? Would you be completely rejected? Would this not be a low point in your life? Now, think, the disciples walked in. They were there when 5,000 men got fed. They were there when the Gadaren was freed they were there when the pigs swam in the water and drowned. They were there. Can you imagine what they must have felt like to see the Redeemer standing in front of the crowd and be utterly and completely rejected? But when we gather in His name, is there a sense of excitement? Is there a sense of excitement? You see, on that day, I want to suggest to you that it was a low point in their, in their lives, emotively. Later on, Jesus would say, a woe, Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. He grades the reception of the truth to cities in the community where he has blessed them with the miraculous, and he has blessed them with his presence. And he says this, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And family, in their anger, Nazareth simply yawns and walks away. God's Word will not produce spiritual growth in any of us when the truth is overlooked as making an impact on us. If it's seen as truth and truth alone, it will never have the impact that it was designed to have. It's to be rendered through the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives to bring us into conformity with Jesus Christ. And I want to assure you, by the way, if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to be stuck seeing yourselves conformed, even when at times in your life you don't want to. But life's easier when we want it, when we desire it. So the, the presence of Jesus will not produce miracles. Family, I, I, I want to thank the Lord 
that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is perseverance. Because there are times in the darkness and there are times in the storm when I don't want to turn into the storm. And I don't want to stay in the blackness anymore. I'm tired of it. And there are times when we persevere. So family, the presence of Jesus here did not produce many miracles. Now let me tell you quickly what that does not mean. Jesus did not go to any individual showing himself in divine power and authority and the individual not get healed. That never happened. What more likely happened is an individual who needed the power and the authority of God, someone who had sickness, had lifetime illnesses, had birth defect, simply walked by him and walked home, never bothering to ask, can you heal me? Would you do anything? And we're told that we have not because we ask not. Family, there were those who wanted his power, but they were few. And he never refused. The greatest obstacle to faith is not the failure of God to act, but the unwillingness on our hearts to accept with gladness the very God of gods who, cons- who condescended to be a carpenter's son, who condescended to submit his life to the authority of others, who condescended to take on a criminal's cross, who condescended to the embarrassment of the Israeli community as they looked up and unkindly, sarcastically mistreated him as he was on the cross. And then in death walked out powerfully. You and I have a chance to recognize who we've been identified with because that one changed our lives. That one offered us newness of life. That one gave us the privilege of a new family and tore away the wrath that existed between God and us. And that one, forgive me, deserves loud worship. Our voices deserves hearts that are so excited to be and gathered in his name that we recognize something's going to happen, even if it's my own heart transformation. That one deserves your and my remembering that life's bad sometimes, but in his grace and goodness I can persevere. That one needs to be lived out, recognized, and served. Family, we won't always see the miraculous. We won't always see the wonder. 
Forgive me, but we may be stuck with the ministry of Johnny Erickson, who didn't walk out of a wheelchair, but was used dynamically in a wheelchair. We may be stuck seeing our son die at 19 years old in a five and a half foot pool and he's six foot one. We may be stuck. And then the incredible thing is, is God uses that brokenness, that uniqueness, that darkness to his honor and glory in ways that we never would have anticipated when they first occurred. So, can you join me in a, in a prayer that I have to recognize that at 65, I really don't like starting over. But COVID has just trapped me. Politics has just trapped me. And I want to recognize today that when we recognize or we, lead, we realize who we are, we're the king's kids. We're the king's kids. May that have a relational reality to us that with excitement we can remember there's something greater than what we see and hear on a daily basis. Father in heaven, please, I pray, help us to recognize who you are. You're, you're the God of very gods. We have one in Jesus Christ who is our mediator, the man between God and man. Father, we have in Jesus Christ, God of very gods, man of very man, who condescended as God to be born in nothingness. And Father in heaven, may the stories of him not bore us. May the stories of him, dear God, not be things that we ignore, truths that we need to conform to, not things that we fight. And dear God in heaven, watch over us. That we may live out a joy in you that is fresh and full and vital. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.